Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. And we're going to continue our uh, little series on Star Wars. This is our second podcast on Star Wars. Why is it Star Wars? Because <laughs> Why is Star Wars Star Wars? Exactly. Because Why is it Star Wars? It was because that's the name of it. It, yes. If it was I, called Star Trek, it wouldn't be Star Wars. I thought you answered your own question. I think I did. But uh, we, we already answered part of the question in the previous podcast where we talked about the world building because, of course, everyone wants to know, why is Star Wars this billion-dollar franchise that cannot be stopped? <laughs> this juggernaut. I, I love Star Wars. We all love Star Wars, but it's also fun to, you know, pretend that it's a juggernaut. Um, so... <laughs> But um, yeah, so the second one, we're not going to talk about world building. We we did all that. Uh, what we're going to talk about now is uh, the story of Star Wars. Another reason why Star Wars is Star Wars is not just the world, but also the story that takes place in that world. And um, there's there's often a lot of sort of consideration about which is the better film, Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. You know, what's the best film? And uh, for my money, the key to Star Wars is The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Without The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars would not be Star Wars. Uh, The entire franchise rests on the quality of that film. Um, Because um, if you you look at Star Wars um, without Empire Strikes Back, it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with the first Star Wars film. It's a lot of fun. But um, it would very quickly date and become something of a cult classic. In fact, uh, when people make jokes about Star Wars and, you know, they like to have fun with it and make in-jokes about it and so forth, uh, all the uh, attacks on Star Wars, all the jokes around it, uh, are from the first film. Empire Strikes Back doesn't generate a lot of comic. To to be fair, Jedi as well. Jedi Jedi does as well, but Empire doesn't. Uh, because Empire uh, still hasn't really dated um, because of the quality of the writing. Whereas Star Wars, as wonderful as it is, there are elements to it that are a bit silly. The cantina is a little ridiculous. Um, you know, there's a guy in a werewolf suit in the cantina. It's just, He's just there. There's a devil. There's a guy dressed as Satan in there. It's just very odd. Um, you know... There's there's elements to the first film that are like the stormtrooper that bangs his head, and how <laughs> useless they are actually when they just fall over that crevice in the Death Star, and you know they just Luke's on one end of the platform and down yeah. the other they fall out. There's all these sort of silly things. The stormtroopers look kind of like a joke. Um, the fight between Obi Wan and Vader has not aged well at all. It it's um it's gotten it, they look really old. Hmm. They look like very old people fighting, <laughs> and it's not as cool as it once well, the was. The characters are very old. Yeah, it's in character fighting. It's true. That is true. It's not that it's bad. Uh, there's other elements as well that are quite silly, like um, how quickly Luke seems to get over everyone he knows dying over the course of the film, uh, and also the fact that like every time he meets somebody and he goes, "Oh, you're my friend from Tatooine or whatever," you know they're dead. They don't live. Big's dark lighter dies, and um, like, <laughs> and then there's Jack Porkins. 
Uh, you just can't not laugh at Jack Porkins and stuff like that. I mean, the guy's name is Porkins, and he's the only fat star pilot in the galaxy. Uh, there's, there's all the, you see what I mean? Like, there's all these little things about Star Wars that, as much as as lovely as the film is, as wonderful as it is, there are bits to it that you look and you go, "That's a bit dated." Uh, but Empire, that doesn't happen. Empire doesn't have that. Uh, Empire that strikes back. Um, really uh, enriches the franchise in a way that uh, it, without it, the franchise just wouldn't be the juggernaut that it is. If, if that's the key, then how does it enrich the franchise? It's with the turning point, Luke, I am your father. That turning point, Vader being Luke Skywalker's uh, dad, uh, generates everything. Uh, the whole franchise is built on that turning point. Um, it's hard to imagine, but if we look back at Star Wars, Darth Vader is not Anakin Skywalker. His name is Darth Vader. That's why Obi-Wan Kenobi calls him Darth. Alec Guinness is not lying when he says Anakin uh, was betrayed and murdered by Vader. He's not lying. There's no subtext there that the actor is giving. That's a true statement. Um, and Vader is just a bad guy. He's cool. He's very cool, but he's this bad guy who killed Luke's dad, and that's all there is to it. End of discussion for the first film. Empire Strikes Back added this element to it, that he's actually his dad, and they were lying. And now, as a result, they were able to generate Return of the Jedi out of that film. The drive that's created from yeah, this the, turning point. exactly. By having him be uh, Anakin Skywalker, the whole third film, Return of the Jedi, comes into being. And the, all the prequels are based on this premise of Anakin becoming Vader. I mean, you can argue, as fans love to do, I mean, I, I've got my own idea of what the trilogy prequel trilogy should have been, but no matter who you are, no matter how into Star Wars you are, you everyone gets the first three films, if you're going to do a prequel trilogy, are about Anakin becoming Vader. That's the whole point of a prequel trilogy. There's nothing else that matters, just that. And that isn't present in Star Wars. That's present in Empire Strikes Back. And the whole franchise is built around that turning point. Uh, and that turning point wasn't always there. Um, I mean, it's... Uh, when do, do we know when it was created, this turning point? Somewhere between uh, the end of uh, Star Wars being released and Empire Strikes Back being released. At some point during the process, they decided that was the case. Because... Um, it's obvious. <laughs> Sorry, some point between Star Wars being released and Empire being released. I mean, I imagine it was before they started shooting Empire. I would think so. Okay, <laughs> just although narrow that window. Although down maybe slightly. not, maybe not, because there is a shooting draft um, where the guy who played Darth Vader, David Prowse, uh, he says in the scene that they recorded, which Luke Skywalker's reacting to. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hamill isn't reacting to David Prowse, the actor on set, saying, "Luke, I am your father." In a West Country accent, he's he's saying, "Obi Wan murdered your father." That was the script David Prowse is reading from. Now, there's some talk that that was a draft that they kept around because Prowse was notorious for leaking uh, plot points, and so they gave him a fake script so right. that that would be the case. But there was a point where that was actually a draft of the story. Furthermore, if you look at George Lucas's uh, early Star Wars scripts, which they're all online, Anakin, a star killer at some point, and then Anakin Skywalker, is not Darth Vader. They're not the same character. Those names are not 
are for two separate characters. Right. And Anakin is actually in some of the earlier ones. And there's obviously loads of changes. But there's nothing to indicate that this was always the case, that Vader was Luke's dad. Uh, nothing in the first film, the finished film, even to, to this day, there's nothing in that film that says Darth Vader is Luke's dad. The genius of Empire Strikes Back, Leia Brackett wrote it, then she passed away, then Lawrence Kasdan took over, and Irvin Kirshner directed it. So it's the film that George Lucas had the least to do with. So they had nothing to do with it, they just had the least to do with it. Yeah. Um, but someone, somewhere along the lines, it might have been Lucas himself, I honestly don't know, went, hold on, Vader never met Luke in Star Wars. This is a thing that never happened. He's going to meet him in Empire Strikes Back. They're going to have a fight. And at some point, someone went, Vader is Luke's dad. And that generated this amazing backwards and forwards momentum to the franchise. It went forwards into Return of the Jedi. And it went backwards through not just <laughs> through Star Wars, movies. but th- but uh, not yeah, not just through Star Wars and Empire, but it also went so far backwards that they were able to make three films out of it. That's the momentum of this thing. And so some people say, you know, well, Star Wars is the better film because it started everything off, and Empire just built on it. But the problem is that people don't realize that Empire has a backwards momentum. Star- Empire Strikes Back isn't just something that comes up after Star Wars. And like just plays off what was there. Empire goes back and fixes and reinvigorates and enriches Star Wars to a point where if Empire Strikes Back did not exist, Star Wars would not be Star Wars. That film, that first film, as lovable as it is, would be a cult classic that would be dated and would not generate anything close to what we are experiencing now. So this 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 turning point uh, enriching the the world of Star Wars. I mean, as we talked about in the last podcast, that this is not a, a world that was lacking in richness itself, was it? No, it, it wasn't. It, it it's a great world that is, as Absolutely. we discussed, consistent. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, and the Empire was. Gen- I I would be amazed if when they started writing Empire Strikes Back, they already had Luke. Uh, that Anakin was Vader. I would presume when they started to say, okay, what does Darth Vader do in the second film? And okay, he wants to get Luke because Luke's the last Jedi. He wants to turn Luke to the dark side and all this stuff. I mean, that in itself generates most... In fact, the the vast majority of Empire Strikes Back is just Vader's trying to get Luke. Hmm. It's only until the end where you suddenly go, oh... Ah, it's and the, it rest, the rush of insight. Yeah, yeah, it's that huge rush of insight over two films that creates this. That has created this franchise. It, it just when you watch Star Wars by itself, there's no denying its quality, but there's also no denying it does not have. It does not stand the test of time by itself. Empire Strikes Back is why Star Wars is still Star Wars. Return of the Jedi is starting to show its age. The Ewoks are laughable. Uh, the film kind of feels like a sort of rehash of the first two films. Uh, the prequels aren't nearly good enough. Um, the The one that really stands the test of time is Empire Strikes Back. And Star Wars is so beautifully, seamlessly put into Empire Strikes Back that it's only it's only if you ignore Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars becomes a bit laughable. 
It's only on its own. But when you remember Empire and you see it as this whole entity, suddenly it works really well. Uh, it, it becomes this classic. But that's because of the work in Empire, not because of the work in Star Wars. And that, again, because that's not to denigrate Star Wars. It's it's wonderful. Because suddenly there's... Um, you, you mentioned um, so, uh, the dialogue that uh, Guinness delivered before, having yeah. no subtext. There's he no was, subtext. He was... He was telling the truth, yes. but then you have this wonderful turning point in the end of Empire, yeah. and all of a sudden there's um, there's a depth to these lines that wasn't there before. Exactly, and that's the fun of doing prequels and doing sequels, which is that you can go back and forth and take scenes and add a layer to them that wasn't there before. You can reconfigure. Yeah, exactly, but you have to do it in a way that it feels plausible, obviously, otherwise if people just go, well, that, that didn't happen, you're lying, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, Empire just does it so well. A- Empire, the Empire Strikes Back does it so well, it's almost impossible to imagine that it wasn't always there. But it wasn't. Hmm. I mean, you like you have to be a little unfair to kind of go like, <laughs> it wasn't there because it's so well done. And it's, not, it's only because we're trying to identify something specific to the franchise. But Star Wars... Star Wars would not have been the, the success it was without Empire. Or if Empire Strikes Back had been a total failure, if it had been awful, uh, it would not have lasted. Well, you mentioned failure. It's, um, isn't it rather famously the one that did the least well out of the movie? That's the crazy thing. It did the least well. Empire in terms Back. of box office. In terms of box office and stuff. Apparently it's the lowest selling of all the films. which is Including prequels. In, I think Yeah, definitely including the prequels. There's no way. Phantom Menace must have made an enormous amount of money in the opening box office and then full yeah. and cr- like crashed straight <laughs> after. But um, the, what's, well, the thing is, though, it, it's not surprising because Empire Strikes Back is what put Star Wars on the map. So as soon as Empire came out, people will go back and watch Star Wars. Right? Yeah. So Star Wars gets a whole second audience again. Because everyone goes back to watch Star Wars a second time. And by the time Return of the Jedi comes out, Star Wars has exploded. Oh, I see. So it's going to do a lot more. Yeah. So Empire is the reason all the others have done so well. But it, by itself, has apparently done the least well. I don't know how true that is in terms of like, if you know, maybe it's, that's just box office. Maybe that's not including DVD. But I can't remember the last time you were able to buy Empire Strikes Back on its own. Ugh. <laughs> like you can't get them on their own anymore. They're always sold as part of a block. Yeah, and a block that's been yeah. updated however many times now as well. Yeah, with the, with yeah, the extra footage. With the extra footage. But uh, as I say, the point is, without Empire Strikes Back, if it was terrible or mediocre or just wasn't the 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 masterpiece that it is, yeah. uh, Star Wars, the film Star Wars, the first one, simply does not generate what it would need to be a franchise. Okay, so you have this great turning point and that builds on the incredible world that was... Yeah. Um, and enriches the world that was yeah. built in the first film. Generates uh, Jedi and three prequels. Yes. So where does this leave us with episode seven? Well, that's the interesting thing because Vader's exhausted. There's nothing left of Vader anymore. And so The Force Awakens, what's really fascinating, at least for me, is what are you going to do? What what's what's left? Like the whole franchise, the whole franchise is built on that turning point. All the heat comes from that turning point. Um, the world is fascinating. People love the world, but 
if you look at um, Star Wars outside of the sort of main th- six films, uh, the audience drops drastically. Like, I'm a huge nerd and geek guy. I don't keep up with the Clone Wars or the Rebels. I think that's the current Star Wars TV show, Rebels. And the, the, the Clone the, Wars is one of those... Um, it was a cartoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's one of those um, elements of the first movies when they when they mention it that actually yeah. is interesting enough. Uh, you know, I could get into that. I could watch that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but myself but, as well, I don't see the, t- but I the, I the I TV show. I watched most of the Clone Wars and most of that was a setup for the third film, which yeah. was, was Anakin becoming Vader. So you were seeing all this setup for that. Uh, but once Revenge of the Sith came out, you've had a couple of Star Wars shows that I haven't bothered to keep up with. Before that, you had all the novels that dealt with all these new characters like Prince Thorn, I think his name is, and stuff like that. All these characters that really no one cares about. I mean, obviously fans really care about them, but even in Star Wars, lots of Star Wars people just don't consider really... It's like fan fiction. It just doesn't really count. Mm, yeah. Um, and that, the reason is like once you step away from Vader, Star Wars loses an enormous amount of appeal. And in the Force Awakens, because at time re- got... time recording, film's not out yet, so no. we haven't seen it. No, but we've seen the trailers, and we've got Kylo Ren who looks a bit like Vader, and has and it seems like he wants to continue Vader's work. He says that in the trailer, "I'm going right. to finish what you started," and he's holding like Vader's molten mask or at least it looks like he's holding Vader's molten mask we don't know who's holding it they cut yeah. it that way but the point is it, the the I, I mean I, I always do do this exercise this writing exercise where I would sit down and go if I had an intellectual property Star Wars Superman whatever you know what would you write you know what would you do with it and with Star Wars I could never think of what episode 7 8 and 9 what another trilogy would be about because I just couldn't think, well, there's no Vader anymore. Which is presumably why you weren't hired to write them. I, that would be right, that. <laughs> and also, I think I think there's several reasons. Uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pin it on that. We'll pin it on that one. But I, I can't imagine it. And when I read up, you know, fan theories and uh, all these things, it's never very interesting. So I'm very curious to see what they've done with The Force Awakens, because maybe they've solved that. But the point is, uh, and I hope they have, but the point is, is, this turning point of Vader, the whole the whole franchise is built on it, and so Force Awakens has to solve that problem of what does Star Wars do when Vader's not around? Okay, so talking of problems, then yes. we talked about uh, we've, we've got the Empire point. Um, what about movies then that create this world um, that's great in the first movie and then destroy it with the second? Yeah, exactly. As I said, like. Without Empire, um, Star Wars wouldn't be Star Wars. You can see that that's the case for other franchises. Uh, other franchises have actually had this happen to them. Uh, the Matrix is the the poster boy <laughs> of this. When the Matrix, when, you, when you've got a terrific first movie, yeah, there. the Matrix came out in ninety nine. Everyone loved it. Everyone dressed in black clever. Everyone had trench coats. Everyone wore sunglasses. Everyone gave themselves sort of weird hacker names like Neo and Switch and and Port. I don't know, whatever. Like, I thought you were going to say Porkins. Porkins. No, no, no. Portins. Uh, people just gave themselves these silly names and dress up. and everyone, it, like, 
when it, when people talk about what Star Wars was like when it came out in the ni- 1977, The Matrix was exactly the same thing in 1999. It just totally blew everyone away. Uh, and then three years later, just like Star Wars, the sequel came out. But unlike Star Wars, The Matrix Reloaded was not The Empire Strikes Back. The Matrix Reloaded was so disastrously bad, so incredibly bad. I mean, the freeway sequence is seven minutes of gold in an otherwise ocean of failure. Um, <laughs> it really is. It's awful. Um, but it was so bad, it exposed all the silliness of the first film and to the point where the franchise died i mean the matrix died you had in between the matrix and matrix you had the animatrix which yes. people loved uh, yeah it was a great series. and people were like this is a great taste we can't wait for it and people were just it was people complain about the phantom menace being bad it's not as bad as reloaded Phantom Menace did not kill Star Wars. You say Reloaded exposed some silliness and some flaws, such as... Okay, so when I mentioned in Star Wars that if you look at it now, you start to see there's certain things that are dated to it, right? Mm. But you forgive it because Empire's so good and the quality of Star Wars is good. It hasn't been exposed for its silliness. The Matrix, on the other hand, it's almost impossible to watch parts of it because what Reloaded has did is it made it... It showed how incredibly pretentious and superficial The Matrix was. The Matrix, part of the key of why people loved it was it seemed kind of intelligent. (laughs) There was an intelligence to it. You know, they talked about, you know, what is the real world, Neo? Can you tell if if it's just electrical impulses in your brain, then this is real and all that kind of stuff. And they talked about the war with the machines and you talked about Zion and how we have to save humanity. Then the reloaded comes out and you hear the Malvelgion and the architect just talk total balderdash <laughs> for, I don't know how long, just endlessly going vis-a-vis concordantly and all that nonsense, just back and forth for I don't know how long. And you go, they're not saying anything. They're just using long words, but it's completely meaningless. So you realize this is really stupid. Then, at the same time, um, the uh, other stuff that starts to fall apart, you, you start to notice that Zion is not a place worth saving. <laughs> Zion is horrible. It's this dank, like, rave party. And it's just... This isn't... I prefer The Matrix to Zion. Like, in the first film, you could imagine what Zion was like, and you go, well... It's got to be worth it. It's humanity. But when you actually saw it, you go, this isn't worth fighting for. Uh, and so when you watch the first film and they mention things like Zion and stuff, you just remember this stuff. And the only way to enjoy The Matrix is to so divorce yourself <laughs> from the sequels that you can actually enjoy it and remember this is what it was like. But even then, as, and The Matrix is still very enjoyable, really is. There's certain things about it that are just absolutely perfect, like uh, Hugo Weaving's Agent Smith. Yes. Is just superb. He's a brilliant villain. Morpheus is great. He's really good. Um, but the there's certain things like you can't help but laugh at the cell phones. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be the future, but uh, the cell phones, you know, are just these giant clunky things. But you uh, think they use dial up <laughs> things like that, and you just say, like, okay, uh, but. But again, like Star Wars, you know, you look at the stupid puppets or whatever and you go, okay, 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 it's fine. It's not an, it's not a huge deal breaker in Star Wars. But yeah. in Matrix, 
it start like the big ridiculous honking boots that they wear on the leather you know, like it starts to look stupid because reloaded just showed how shallow and pretentious everything was and it's a shame but if reloaded hadn't come out matrix would never have hit the fever pitch it did before Reloaded came out. Do you out. think that would have been possible? I mean, had the, do you think the Wachowskis created a world rich enough that they could have done something like or Empire? Or they could have had an empire. Yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? I can, I can imagine they could have had an empire, Strikes Back. The freeway sequence from Reloaded shows it had the potential. The freeway sequence is great, isn't it's it? It's so good. The freeway sequence is amazing. And the that when you look at that and you go, that's what the Matrix... Is 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 like, uh, you to yeah you totally could have had something that would have turned the Matrix like Star Wars, and it had with Empire Strikes Back and elevated it and enriched it and taken it to another level that made it this unkillable juggernaut of fun, right? So Morpheus, <laughs> Morpheus is Neo's father. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, if Morpheus, I am your father, Neo. Agent Smith would have to say it, right? Um, <laughs> but but they just it, but instead they did the exact opposite. Uh, and they just killed their franchise with it. And they're not the only ones to have done this. Uh, that uh, was my next question. Yeah, no, Pirates of the Caribbean, which you reminded me of, <laughs> did this. Uh, Pirates, the first Pirates came I out. loved Pirates of the Caribbean when it came out. Just the music, the, the world, though, particularly. It, it it was just a great, you know, it was a romp. It was yeah. very, very enjoyable. It really was. And yeah. I remember watching it and thinking Johnny Depp deserved the Oscar for Sparrow. <laughs> Because he just stole the show. Like, he was barely in the trailers. Well, he stole Keith Richards, is what he did. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But he... he the, Like, there's a whole bunch of famous things about the genesis of Jack Sparrow. <laughs> yeah. Like, how uh, he did it like that, and no one liked him doing it. Famously, everyone hated it. They thought this is the worst performance he's ever given. And they didn't like it at all. This is why he was not in any of the trailers. He was barely in them. The co- the posters were Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. Johnny Depp was like the third tier guy. He wasn't the big deal. But the film came out and he stole every scene. He he just he he was like a pantomime guy. It's just amazing. Everyone loved him. And then the second film came out and they exposed the fact that Jack Sparrow was an accident. <laughs> and they didn't mean to write someone that good. Johnny Depp just was having fun with this character. And so in the second film, they tried to write the Jack Sparrow that they ended up with. They tried to recreate it again. So the fun was artificial. And it was just it didn't work. And you go, oh, they, they, the first film was all an accident. I, yeah, I remember as well in the third film, um, was it At, at World's End? Uh, yeah. There's, there's a scene uh, where the, the ships are kind of being sucked into this um, uh, vortex in the ocean. And yeah. Jack Sparrow's doing this, um, like, circus routine almost, flying between yeah. ships on, and just happening to stay alive. And it was all built around this luck, which um, yeah. that he seemed to have, yeah. that, that, uh, that was innate. And so in the first movie, whilst that's fun, it's yeah. almost plausible. Yes. You know, this coincidence, I guess, we talked about in, yeah. uh, in part one of this um, yeah. exactly. series. All of a sudden, it seemed preposterous. Right. Yeah, it got too silly. And not only that, not only that, it's the same thing again and yeah. again. Like, Jack Sparrow is a really shallow character, but then he's supposed to be comic relief yeah. for Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. But when they took him and turned him into the main character, because in the second film, he's the main character. And by the fourth film, he's the solo 
character. Like, yeah. Bloom and Knightley aren't even in it. And they haven't given him any depth. There's not enough to him. There's, not, not, there's nothing there. He's a... What, 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 what's his dimension? Does he even have one? Yeah, he's a pirate and Keith Richards. That's it. <laughs> it's just the same joke again and again. It's just not enough. And well, um, that's that's not to say though that I mean the the first if you can forget two three and four yes the first film still has its charms and it's, yes it's, and the charm is Jack Sparrow and the charm is Jack Sparrow as long as you can remember that this Jack Sparrow isn't an accident right because yeah. <laughs> once you go oh he's it's just luck it's like taking you know behind the Wizard of Oz's curtain and going oh. It it just it ruins the franchise. The ma- the you, the magic's gone. Do you think enough time needs uh, has to pass then from terrible sequels for you to be able to go back to the original? And time say, is always the greatest test of quality. Yeah. The longer time, the longer you have, the more. Like I would guess, like in the future, you know, em- uh, Empire Strikes Back would be the only surviving Star Wars film. That would be it. Star Wars might survive with it because it needs it as the setup. Yeah. But I can imagine all the others. I mean, Return of the Jedi, you you could imagine it's because it's the ending, right? But I can imagine just over time, you know, the way things are retold and rebooted and things, that Empire Strikes Back is pretty much all that's there for Star Wars. And Pirates of the Caribbean, um, I don't know if the first film, like the first Matrix, has enough in it to carry on. Much like the first Star Wars, I don't think these films by themselves would last forever. Um, after a while they would just get a bit dated and silly and you'd lose it and the the problem with the second pirates and the second matrix is they they pre they they sort of like they made that prematurely happen hmm. they exposed the problem so quickly that uh what would have maybe taken like two decades to have happen happened in three years because you can you can expose yeah you can expose issues yeah but the the original movies survive because we were talking about yeah. Terminator for example yeah well, as, a, as an example of uh, like Star Wars something that was elevated to this yeah. legendary level yeah because Terminator is very good yeah it's very good I would I, I mean it's really good the first one but Terminator 2 is astounding <laughs> <laughs> it's just so so good we actually play a clip in the action lecture uh, from Terminator 2 which is the bit where the T-1000 and uh, Schwarzenegger meet for the first time. And Schwarzenegger shoots, he pulls out the gun, points it, and you think he's pointing at John Connor, he goes, get down. Yeah. The kid drops and he shoots the, the, the T-1000. Great Arnie, by the way. <laughs> he shoots the T-1000 and uh, he starts healing up and then they have their fight. And you play that in the lecture and every single time people get upset when the clip ends. <laughs> And they, and there's always someone who will come up to me and go, the special effects are better in that film than anything today. It's like, <laughs> that film is over 20 years old. That film was 1992. In 92, wow. It's almost 30 years old. It's yeah. getting there, right? And it's just, and the special effects are better, right? They are, yeah. I, I, I went through it recently. I broke it it's down, just, and there's the, yeah, there's it's just so good. The scene in the hospital where he's uh, he gets stepped on by a security guard, and the yeah. puddle just yeah. up, and you know, and hiring twins, and hiring you what? Because Linda Hamilton also has a twin. Yeah. So they had all these twins, so they could do that stuff. Like, but so, um, 
Terminator 2 is just amazing and brilliant and ended the franchise. Mm. It was finished after Terminator 2. But they've kept trying to do it. And what's interesting, like Empire Strikes Back, where the whole franchise is built on Vader, Mm. Terminator 2 added something to the franchise that the whole franchise is about now, which is stopping Judgment Day. The first Terminator, that's not the film. No. They don't even try. In the first Terminator film, it's only about keeping Sarah Connor alive. That's all it is. Terminator 2 added this idea. It turned. It actually shifted the genre. It was a horror story where it's about the victim yeah. against a monster. Terminator 2 turned them into heroes that are trying to save yeah. humanity and stuff. I mean, they're also victims, but they're, trying, they're also heroic now uh, because it's an action horror. It combines the two. Terminator 3, again, they're trying to stop Judgment Day. Terminator Salvation, uh, I, I don't, I think that's the only one I haven't seen. And Genesis, the train wreck that that film is, <laughs> where they're trying to stop Judgment Day, it just doesn't make any sense at all. But Terminator 2 added this thing, which is the T-1000, other bits of the world, but fundamentally, the Terminator franchise now is about dealing with stopping Judgment Day because mm. of Terminator 2. But the, the point I was making with um, time passing and yeah. still enjoying those movies is... Yeah. Um, you know, with with Star Wars, some of those movies are fine. Yes. Um, with Terminator, it's it's quite agreed upon that those three movies, those you know, three, four, and five, yes, are pretty terrible. Yeah, no one likes them. But, <laughs> I, some people yeah. must like them, but I think uh, by and large, everyone knows that they're, they're not very good. But Terminator Two and Terminator still hold up. Yeah, they can't ruin them. Are they, do you think they're unruinable? I would I would never say anything <laughs> like that. I'm sure some some you could make something like that would expose how stupid those films are, but I haven't seen it like yet. Like what if they were cats? Yeah, maybe. Something yeah. Something could something could always come along and expose it and ruin it, maybe. But um I, that hasn't happened. Those three sequels haven't ruined the first two films. Um much in the same way that the prequels didn't ruin Empire. Uh, but unfortunately, Reloaded did destroy yeah. the Matrix. Um, and um, the, other good examples then? Uh, Mad Max. Mad Max was an okay film uh, until the sequel, Mad Max 2 Road Warrior, which turned that into a franchise. And then the third one was okay, uh, but wasn't enough. Um, and that stopped the franchise dead. Until Fury Road, which was really good. Great, yeah, great but, film. But Fury Road isn't. Fury Road isn't, a, uh, I think, as magical as say Empire, or Terminator Two, or even Mad Max Two. Mad Max Two is probably still the best one, but um, yeah, I think Mad Max Two is still the best of that franchise. But Fury Road is very good. Fury Road's definitely enough that you can go, hey, Mad Max is still doable. Um, and of course, uh, the other franchise that um, has this clear example is the Wrath of Khan, uh, Star the, Trek. The Star Trek, franchise. yeah, Star Trek. The whole Star Trek franchises were elevated Star Trek, uh, much like Empire Strikes Back. What, what elevated um, these franchises from this is good fare to this is classical, this is like a classic. This will stand up for for generations. Is the Wrath of Khan. Um, and it's so clearly the Wrath of Khan. Do you think then, I mean, you think that the series, the original series, I know bits of that certainly are dated. Do you don't think that would have 
been the sort of legend it is now without Wrath of Khan on top of that? No, uh, because it wasn't. It wasn't a legend. Uh, the original Star Trek was a cult classic. I love it, but it's a cult classic. It got cancelled after three seasons. It was not a huge success. It was it. The people that liked it really loved it, but it was not a huge success at all. They made a film because Star Wars came out was so popular. They went, okay, let's take Star Trek and make a film out of Star Trek. And the first film did not do very well. Uh, it was a bore. Um, it just was not a good film at all. It was very. It, it tried very hard to be wondrous, but it was just very boring. It didn't work. Really didn't work. Um, and then the second one came out, Wrath of Khan, in eighty two, same year as Empire Strikes Back. Came out and it just was astounding, and it was so good that it, the original series found another audience. And that was, it was so good that it started generating all these other films. And as a result, um, it generated all the spin-off series. Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. And to see the power of Khan, if you look at the new Star Trek films, the two new ones directed by J.J. Abrams, uh, those two films make lots of references. All the references come from Wrath of Khan. Except for Chekhov going, Victor, Victor, which is a reference to the voyage home, where Chekhov is saying nuclear vessel instead of vessel. <laughs> That's it. That's the only reference. Everything else pretty much comes from Wrath of Khan. Uh, the Seti Alpha Eels, the Kobayashi Maru, and the plot for both films is literally a mad lib of Wrath of Khan. I mean, all the bits they didn't copy for the first film, they copied in the Star Trek Into Darkness. So the, those two films are based on Khan uh, completely. That the plot of that first film. So Khan elevated Star Trek. Khan elevated Star Trek. It it transformed it. Uh, there's lots. There's lots. Lots of wonderful Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek, unlike Mad Max, Terminator, Pirates, um, and uh, Star Wars, Star Trek has far more material than any of these. I mean, they have countless shows and films, but the best of it is Khan. There's lots of great, great moments in Star Trek, um, but. Khan is, is what stands head and shoulders above the rest. All right, and back to Star, uh, Star Wars then. Yeah. Um, why is Star Wars Star Wars? I mean, we, we talked about world building. We talked about this key turning point yeah. in Empire. Um, what doesn't make Star Wars Star Wars? Because there's this idea, isn't there? Yeah, the hero's journey. The hero's journey. Yeah, people like to think that the reason Star Wars, the first Star Wars film, is this timeless classic and so forth, is not because of the quality of Empire Strikes Back, but because it's the hero's journey. And this is a lovely lie, uh, because people like to pretend that, oh, it's the hero's journey, if you write a hero's journey, it'll be timeless too. There you go. You're not drowning in a sea of cliché. Off you go. <laughs> and um, it's just nonsense. First of all, the I would argue the worst aspect of the first film of, of Star Wars is the fact that the story is so formulaic. It's just ridiculously paint-by-numbers hero's journey. And I think that's the weakness of the film. I think that that weakness is why it can become laughable and uh, niche. It's not that it's terrible. It's not terribly done at all. I'm not saying that it's badly written or that the story is bad. Far from it. It's just that it is the most formulaic thing. When you look at the quality of the world building and how original the world building is 
and you look at the quality of the storytelling, you notice that the focus and talent in that film is directed not at the story. Just play devil's advocate briefly. Yeah. Is it possible that part of... Because um, in part one we talked about um, allowing the um, audience a way into that world. Yeah. Is it possible that the hero's journey is our way into that world when it is so um, no, original? Because, because the hero's journey... Um, the whole concept of this hero's journey came from uh, people just presuming that an anthropological study by Joseph Campbell is a how-to manual for writing, which it isn't. And so Joseph Campbell's premise was oh, every story is the hero's journey. It's just not true. He's wrong. Uh, Hamlet is not a hero's journey. Macbeth is not a hero's journey. These aren't hero's journeys. So in order for the hero's journey to be something that grounds us, it has to actually be every story, as Joseph Campbell sur surmised, which it isn't. So therefore, no. However, the formulaic nature of it is that this one tiny subgenre of someone going out and... The, the the hero's journey says there's all these similarities in certain types of stories, and Star Wars copies those. Right. But those aren't the reasons those stories are interesting to be heard of in the first place. It's not the similarities. It's like saying that uh, you know Hamlet and Macbeth are the same because the main character ends up dead. But like that's not what it is about them. That is why people watch Macbeth. They don't watch Macbeth, they don't watch Hamlet because, oh, the guy dies at the end, right? It's substantially more than that. Similarly, the fun of Star Wars is not the, they go rescue a princess and then they go back and then they beat the bad guy. That's not really the enormous fun of it. Uh, it's the, the fun of it is what world that takes place in these villains and now, of course, this whole Empire Strikes Back aspect mm. to it. I mean, the key to Empire Strikes Back, for example, is this that reveal. Luke is Vader's son, that's got nothing to do with the hero's journey. There's no book anywhere that says in the hero's journey, oh, by the way, you want an enormously brilliant twist that gives you insight. Into that's not a thing that any of these books will say. They'll just say, you know, you confront the first threshold guardian and then you do this and then you do that. It's like that, that concept of Vader is, that's not going to happen. That's not a hero's journey choice. Has the... Has the hero's journey been done better? Yes. Done better than Star Wars. The Matrix. Uh, the Matrix is... <laughs> the Matrix is the most original hero's journey. An original <laughs> hero's journey. It's the most original one. Because you honestly don't know if Morpheus is crazy or not. Morpheus might be wrong. <laughs> Morpheus might be really, really wrong. You, you, Like the bit where he's in the dojo and he's fighting Neo... And he's kicking the crap out of him and goes, you're faster than this. Come on, just hit me, like that. And he's just you're going like, I think you might be mad. <laughs> like, you might not be sane, right? And everyone else is like, no one else is sure. But Morpheus is ludicrously sure. And then the Oracle says, by the way, you're not the one. Morpheus is crazy, right? <laughs> and so you're honestly not sure if, if Neo is even the hero. So when he turns out to be the hero, it's actually quite an interesting thing. It's satisfying. It's very satisfying. Whereas... You look at, like, for the Forbidden Kingdom and the Sorcerer's Apprentice and even... Uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings is a really good hero's journey. It's not that hero's journeys are bad or that they don't exist. It's just this idea that the hero's journey is such a powerful storytelling tool that it uh, it, it is the reason Star Wars is Star Wars. It's just not true. And what it does is... It removes the writer's choice. It does. It just says, like, yeah, just copy the formula. 
you'll be fine. And of course, that's just not the case. If that were the case, why isn't the Sorcerer's Apprentice amazing? Like there are, there's no shortage of stories with very, very similar Star Wars storylines. If only because after Star Wars, everyone ripped off Star Wars, right? <laughs> so there's loads of stories out there that are basically Star Wars. Why is it they aren't Star Wars? Why aren't they as popular? If it, if it would, ju- if it were just the hero's journey, why aren't they as popular? And you realise it's because it's not the hero's journey. What makes Star Wars Star Wars? The brilliant world building. The fact that the hero's journey is told really well is very important. The characters are unique. I mean, people like to say Chewbacca is a stock archetype, but I've never seen anything like Chewbacca before or since. Right? Um, people like to come... Like, where, where where does it say in a hero's journey book, oh yeah, you want to have a robot that's kind of camp? That's not a thing. <laughs> Right, have a dustbin that beep a dust dustbin that beeps. That's a character. That's not those aren't things that are anything. So, a huge amount of what Star Wars did was it had this form. It did it very well. Told it in a beautiful world. All these things, and then on top of that, got a second film that was so masterfully written that it heightened the first film and created a huge franchise around it. So. The idea of this turning point now, I mean, how do we take this to our own writing? Well, the important thing for that is, of course, realising what sequels and prequels are. Um, there's a really funny story in one of William Goldman's books. I forget which one. It's either Which Lie Did I Tell or Adventures in the Screen Trade. I forget which. He talks about how sequels are whores movies. <laughs> uh, if you do a sequel, you're a whore. That's how he writes it. And um, he says, it's brilliant, he's talking about this and he says, I had, so I have this theory, sequels are horror movies. And I tell this theory to George Miller. And George Miller goes, what are you talking about? I made Mad Max 2. And he goes, uh... <laughs> and he goes, I made Mad Max 2 because I didn't have the money to make Mad Max the way I wanted to make it. So I wanted to make a good version of the first film. And then William Goldman writes in the book, and of course he's right, uh, Mad Max 2 is the best Mad Max, it's better than this, and so on. And what's interesting, of course, is people do look down on sequels, they look down on prequels, they think of them generally as, as William Goldman says, whores movies, whores stories. But what Empire Strikes Back and Reloaded and Wrath of Khan and Terminator 2 and all these films show is that a sequel or a prequel has not only the chance to destroy and expose your work, but it also has the opportunity to enrich it in a way that you could never have thought of. A sequel is almost like a second chance. And if you can think of it this way, if um, if the first story that you wrote, say, you know, if you want to rank these things out of 10 or whatever, you know, is a 7 out of 10, the sequel lets you actually raise everything up maybe to an 8 or a 9. You can actually improve everything. You can make things better. So a sequel is a chance to uh, actually... Because you should be a better writer, right? You get better as you go on. So you should have the chance. So a sequel is like a, a chance to really improve and make your work better. It's not just, oh, I can do it again because it's easier. I mean, the big trap for sequels is thinking it's really easy. Because the sequel can do the exact opposite. It can kill your career. A sequel is an incredibly powerful thing. And a prequel is incredibly powerful. Writing another story in a world you've already like given to your audience ha- is 
an incredibly powerful thing. You can destroy... I mean, if only because you have the momentum. I mean, this is what you find in long-form writing. You have a huge momentum to get people into the real heights of emotion and investment in your world, like people did with Breaking Bad and whatever. So you have this incredible chance. I mean, a sequel or a prequel is an incredible chance to um, really enrich your world, your story, and your audience. And so to look at them as just whores movies or, oh, yeah, we'll just crank out another one, which is what like people so do. Like so many do, yeah. Like so many do, like the Saw films, Final Destination, all those things, right? They just crank out another one. is so disrespectful to the audience and to your own work. But um, so I would say, like, if you're writing your story, you don't necessarily have to plan out a sequel in advance or a prequel. Uh, but as you write, you write your story, it goes out there. And if you have this idea, I want to tell the story in this world again. I want to use these characters again, like Conan Doyle first did with Sherlock Holmes, right? He was the one who really sort of coined this thing that you can have the same characters appear in multiple stories. If you want to do that, just be aware that you have this chance. You have this amazing chance to ruin everything. <laughs> to ruin or, it all. Or to make it better. But yeah, so that's what makes Star Wars Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.